Wow, what a great morning of worship. Man, uh, just so grateful and thankful. Great job, Jared, worship team. Well, good morning, church. So good to be together. So good to be in God's house and worshiping Him. And this morning, we come to the conclusion of a really amazing series. We've been in this great series called The Best is Yet to Come. And in this series, God is challenging us and teaching us what it means to be men and women after His heart, to be Christ followers all the days of our lives. And we've been walking through this amazing book, the the book of 2 Corinthians, and unpacking the Word of God verse by verse. And God's been speaking to us this summer. And we started off, we said this, that God's not finished with any of us, right? There's still breath in our lungs for a reason, for a purpose, and that God has a great plan for us, that we would follow Him, that we would trust Him. The best is yet to come in our lives. The second way we said that belief must equal behavior. If we truly believe that God is for us, if we truly believe that God has the best for us, it ought to impact the way that we live. It ought to impact the decisions that we make. The third week we talked about heaven. And so often we have this misconception about heaven, like we're gonna sit on a cloud and play a harp, you know, and it's gonna be boring. We're like, come on, that's not what the word of God says. When you go through and see what Jesus said, or you go look in the book of Isaiah, or you unpack the book of Revelation, you just see it's gonna be tremendous. And that what we do here, what we do here impacts eternity. And that you and I, you and I can invest, we can pay it forward into eternity. We talked about this, that joy comes. Joy comes when we focus on what we do have instead of what we don't. And so often we spend our lives focusing on what we don't have, right? If I had a bigger house, a bigger car, if I had more money in my 401k, then I would have joy. But joy doesn't come that way. Joy comes when we focus on what we do have. We have Christ, that God is for us, and we have eternity that's secure that nothing can snatch us out of God's hand. We talked about generosity. We talked about how many times our best comes even in our weaknesses, that God takes our brokenness and makes a ministry out of our brokenness. And last week we talked about dealing with difficulties and they're all gonna come, right? We're either in a crisis, we're coming out of a crisis or we're going into a crisis. We live in a fallen world, a broken world. And yet there's ways that we deal with those difficulties in this world. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world, you know, and knowing that our worth and our value is found in Christ. And this morning, we're coming to the end of 2 Corinthians, and we're looking at this, examine yourselves. See if you're following God, if you're on the right path, if you're on the right track. Because here's what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, there are far, far better things to come than any we leave behind. There are far, far better things to come than any we leave behind. It's like the Apostle Paul was saying, forgetting what lies behind and pressing toward what lies ahead. And that you and I, because of the grace that we receive in Christ, because we are new creations in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come, that we can live redeemed lives, that we can live lives of grace, that we can live lives of purpose, that the rest of our life can be the best of our life. If we will follow, if we will trust. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 13, the last chapter of this great letter the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, Maybe you have a mobile device with you. You can access the scriptures online and follow along with what God's Word has to say. Also, we'll put the words on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible with you today. But the Apostle Paul writing to this church in Corinth. It's a church that he loved right? Apostle Paul went there. He, he helped plant the church. He spent about a year and a half there in Corinth. And, and with these new believers, it was an exciting church, dynamic. God was moving and so many great things happening. And uh, Paul then goes away on some mission trips, but he just kept a heart for this church. And so pick up here at chapter 13. It says in verse 1, this will be my third visit to you. This will be my third visit to you. Now we know Paul, this is gonna be his third visit to them, but this is also his fourth letter, his fourth letter. 
Uh, we don't have the first letter he wrote. First Corinthians is really the second letter he wrote to this church. The third letter he wrote was a harsh letter saying, hey guys, there's some immorality that's coming into the church. There's some things that you're doing that are not in line with who God is. And now this is the fourth letter. And this is his most personal letter. This is really where he pours his heart out to the church. And it's, it's just this beautiful picture of his love for the church, for the people. You see, what we see in the Apostle Paul is this. Paul was not simply a consumer of the church. Paul was a contributor. And a lot of people come to church and they say, what can the church do for me? You know, me, 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 me. And the fact is the church does a lot for you, right? I mean, the church does a lot for all of us. Praise God for his church. But you and I are called to be not just consumers, but contributors. And Paul got that. Paul said, hey, I want to make a difference in the church. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus is coming back one day for his church, right? And so Paul said, I want to build the church in my day and in my generation because I know that the church will impact the world. I truly believe this. I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And as you and I begin to understand that, that's where people accept Christ. That's where people make life-transforming decisions as God draws them to himself. It impacts in the church. This is where people grow in discipleship and sanctification. This is where the body of Christ locks arms and goes forward. This is where missions happens and service happens and taking care of the poor and the lost and the broken. This is where children are raised to know about Christ. Where else are they going to hear about Jesus in our culture? Where else are they going to hear about morals and ethics if it's not in the church? This is the body of Christ. And there's no greater investment of your life and my life than in the church. In the church that God is going to use to impact our country, to impact our world in a way like never before. And Paul knew that and he lived it. And God transformed the world through his church. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Paul got that and he lived it. And he says to them, guys, I'm coming to visit. I can't wait to get there. And he says, every matter must be established by the testimony of two to three witnesses. Now, what's he talking about here? Well, if you go back into 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there were some difficult people in the church, right? Now, none of us are perfect, but there were some people there who were into gossip and anger and jealousy if you end in 2 Corinthians 12. And he's going, guys, that's just not right, okay? And it's not that I've just heard it from one person or two people. I've heard it from multiple people. Come on, you've got a higher standard. You've got a higher call. And there is a different standard. You know, if, if you're a person outside the church, if you're an unbeliever, there's a different standard, right? Well, you shouldn't expect unbelievers to live like believers. I mean, they don't know Christ. But if you have been redeemed and restored, there's a call to holiness. And there's a call to grace. And that doesn't mean we're perfect. We all make mistakes. But are we striving in our life? Do we want our lives to look more like Christ? Are we growing deeper in the faith? And Paul goes, you know what, some of you, you're not. And, and I want to tell you this because I care about you and I love you. And I want you to know this truth. And so Paul writes to them and he says, guys, get ready. I'm coming to visit, right? Don't just pull out the trundle bed and get the sheets in order. Get your life in order. Get ready. Verse 2, I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any others. Since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him to serve you. Uh, when I was growing up, and, and I would get in trouble sometimes, right? And my mom would always say this, just wait till your dad gets home, 
right? And I was like, oh, you know, <laughs> those were those words that kind of stopped me. Just when your dad gets somewhere like, yikes. Now, I know my dad loves me, and I love my dad, you know, but, but I knew, I knew, I knew, all of a sudden, my dad's coming, right? And I think what Paul's saying, hey, guys, daddy's coming, right? You know, I love you guys. I care about you, but I'm going to have to speak some truth. I care about you so much, and you can just see his heartbeat for the people there, but, but there's some things that are leading you down the wrong path. So he comes to verse five and he says, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. Take a personal spiritual inventory of yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless of course you fail the test, right? He's like, guys, you've gotta take some time to look inside your heart. You gotta take some time to evaluate. See, here's what I believe. I don't believe that anybody drifts into looking more and more like Christ. I don't believe that anybody drifts into discipleship. It just doesn't happen. You know where we drift? We drift toward the way of the world, right? I mean, we drift toward culture. We drift toward these things. It's just the way it happens. And so if you and I are going to look more like Christ, if you and I are going to grow deeper in the faith, it's going to take a conscious effort. And we're reading God's word, right? Prayer, being in church, being in the community, sharing with the body of Christ. And so Paul says, examine yourselves to make sure you're on the right path. Make sure you're not drifting away from God. And so we take that time. We look into our hearts. We look into our lives. It's amazing to me how we'll take time to kind of evaluate a bunch of areas of our life. We'll evaluate our calendar and we'll say, wow, I'm so busy. I just need some family time, right? Or I need some friend time. We'll take time to examine our retirement account, make sure we're on track to retire. We'll take time to examine, you know, our, our, you know, insurance needs. We'll take time to examine different things. But how often do we take time to examine, am I on the right track spiritually? Am I moving spiritually? He says, test yourselves in this. I have three girls, and so whenever they have a test at school, I'm always like, hey, you're going to do great. Listen, tests are a great opportunity for you to kind of see where you are and how you're growing. And what I usually get is the eye roll. Dad, come on, you know. (laughs) They roll their eyes. But I'm always like, you know, this is a good opportunity. And Paul's going, take this opportunity. Take some time before I come to examine where you are. Take the time to do that. He says in verse 6, he says, and I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Verse 9, we are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is for your perfection. Can you hear Paul's heart in this? Paul's like this spiritual father, right? I'm coming home to you guys, and I want the best for you. Paul's like this pastor. You know, as a pastor, you just love the congregation. You, you love people. And I, mean, I just love you guys so much. And this love exudes from the apostle Paul. And he's like, guys, I want the best for you. I care about you. I don't want you just to drift along. I want you to live the rest of your life and make it the best of your life. And so Paul's going, come on, I want you to excel in the things that God has given you. Verse 10, this is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. So Paul goes, hey guys, I want you to get this. So when I come, we can have a great time. We can, you know, hang out all the time and we don't have to have these difficult conversations. 
We don't have to talk about the gossip or the anger or the factions. We, we can talk about, look at what God's doing. Look at the way he's moving and blessing. So take time to examine yourselves, examine your heart. Now we're gonna come back to verse five in a minute, but let me just kind of go to the close of this letter. He says in verse 11, finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Aim for perfection. Now I think that's important. You see, a lot of people go, well, you know what? I'm not perfect and I'll never be perfect, so why try? You know, I mean, I mean, if Jesus is the standard, I'm never going to get there. So what's the point, right? I mean, I'll just do whatever because I'm never going to be perfect. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. Aim for perfection. Aim that your life looks more like Jesus. You know, you aim small, you miss small, right? You aim big, you miss big. Growing up, I played sports a lot, and you you knew that. I mean, baseball, you know, if you're pitching, you're aiming for the catcher's mitt, but you're not just aiming for the catcher's mitt. There's a little dot on that catcher's mitt, man. You're you're small, shooting a free throw. You're just right over the front end of that rim. You know, there's aim small, miss small. Aim big, miss big. And Paul's going, aim for perfection. Don't ever say, well, I'm never gonna be perfect, so why try, whatever, you know? It's just generational sin. It's just been passed to it. It's just the way I am. I inherited it. I'm always angry. I'm always gonna be angry. I'm always gonna treat people like this. It's just the way. No, 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 no. You are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. You can be the one to break that generational sin. You can be a new person in Christ. You can be redeemed and restored. You aim for perfection. He keeps going. He says, listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. And then verse 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now I have to tell you, this verse came alive for me a a couple years ago on our mission trip to Moldova. Uh, We went to Moldova, you know, as a church, we've invested in this country that, that we love. We've been going there ever since we started. So for about 12 years and working with orphans in this country. And it's just amazing to see the difference God's making there in this small country and, you know, between the Ukraine and Romania. And a couple years ago, we we went and uh, we were working in a village called Carpignan. And it's not a huge village, but it is a pretty good-sized village. We're working in an orphanage there, sleeping in an orphanage, and and just loving all these kids. And, And this little village called Negria, which is about 20 minutes away, heard that these Americans were in town, you know, these Christians, and they were helping the kids there. So they came and they asked one of the deacons from the church, one of the lay leaders, and said, hey, would you guys come worship with us on this Sunday and, and while you're in town? And we said, sure. So we had half our group went in Carpignan, and a few of us went down to Negria. And we went into this small village, and they had only built a church about five years ago. First Christian church that's ever been in this village of Negria. And so we came in and we were kind of like rock stars, right? The Americans are coming, you know? And so I think we might've been the first Americans ever in this village. And our van pulls up and all these kids are there and all these young adults and these older people. And they're just like staring at us. Like, we were like, hey, you know? And uh, we come into the church and it was so sweet. I mean, so sweet. I mean, these kids are just hugging on you and these young adults are wanting to learn and listen, older adults. And I'm, I'm looking at these people and I'm thinking, wow, you know, you were living for Christ under communism. Man, I wanna, I wanna hear your stories, you know, of being in homes and, and being worried about being a Christian. And, and I wanna hear those stories. But we had this sweet time of worship and they asked me to preach and we got to preach that morning there this church and this small church. The great part about worship, they're singing in Russian or Romanian and we're singing in English. 
at the top of our lungs, you know, and I'm just thinking, this is what heaven's going to be like, right? We got brothers and sisters from all over the world and singing to God. Well, as soon as the service was over, this just beautiful, sweet time, they like took 2 Corinthians 13, 12 to like the real deal, right? So they're coming up to greet with a holy kiss. They're like coming up like this and we're like, hello, you know, <laughs> we're from America, you know, and so men are giving you kisses on both cheeks. These women, these older women are coming up and trying to kiss you and everything. It was, it was crazy. We called it the kissing church, you know, and so we left the kissing church. Some of you may not want to go to Moldova. I don't know. It's a great place. But uh, you know, what I discovered is this, is there is a bond in Christ, there is a bond. You have this fellowship. And what Paul is saying, hey, greet one another. You know, we have brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world. We have people who are enduring things. There's persecution and, and hurt and pain and war. And he goes, you're a part of something bigger than yourself. You're a part of the family of God, the church big C. Understand that. All the saints, verse 13, send their greetings. And then verse 14, 14, he closes and he says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And notice the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, right? The Trinity. He closes there. But notice these three words that the Apostle Paul always comes back to in all of his letters. The three words that really defined his ministry, grace, grace. He goes, guys, it's not about works. It's not about works. It doesn't matter how many good things you do. You're never going to be good enough to get to God. It is by grace that you are saved. Through faith. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest no man should boast. Right? In the book of Ephesians. The second word for the Apostle Paul was always love. Love. Man, know that you are called to love God. Know that you are called to love others. Love. The third word for the Apostle Paul was always Christ. <laughs> always comes back to Christ. Always comes back to what Christ has done for you. Always comes back to redemption. Let me ask you this. We started this series with this. What are the three things that you want people to know about you? What are the three things that at the end of your life, you want people to look at your life and say, thank you. Thank you, because your life was about this. All of our lives are telling a story. All of our lives are telling a story. So what story are you telling? What are the three things that people are gonna remember about you? What are they gonna remember about you? What are they going to say, wow, that was, man, that just defined your life. I thank you. Thank you. See, the rest of your life, what are people going to remember? What are people going to say? Now, let's go back to verse 5, and let's unpack this, because this is so powerful. Verse 5, he says, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. This is so important because so often we don't do this. We don't take a time to go on a spiritual retreat or we don't take time to kind of stop and kind of evaluate, where am I spiritually? Many times we're too busy, aren't we? We're so busy and a lot of times we're doing good things. But, but have we ever really stopped and evaluated and said, God, look at my heart? A lot of times we don't examine ourselves because sometimes we just think God's mad at us. And maybe you have that impression today. Maybe there's something you did in high school or you did in college. And so when you get really serious with God, or you become authentic with God, you think, oh, God just, he's mad at me. No, 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 no. Listen, please, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there comes a point in our lives we can just be open to God. He already knows it anyway, right? We can just be open to God and say, God, here I am. Here I am. Sometimes we don't stop to examine ourselves spiritually because 
we don't want to change. <laughs> you know, we, we know what it's going to take to lose weight, right? It's going to take working out and eating right. We're like, I don't really want to do that. Spiritually, there's some things that's going to take. It's going to take devoting our time and, and reordering our mind and reordering our heart around the things of God. We're like, yeah, kind of peace out, you know? And yet, Paul comes back to say, and Jesus would come back to say, come on, there is nothing more important in your life than getting this right. When you get this relationship right, these relationships take care of themselves. And so often we're always trying to fix our spouse or fix our children or fix our workmates or fix our boss and instead of going, wait a minute, let me pray. Let me be centered in Christ. Let me have the peace and the hope and the joy of Christ. Let me live in Christ. This impacts everything else. And so Paul would say, examine yourself. How are you doing in the Lord? How are you growing in the Lord? And Jesus told a parable, a really famous parable, a parable you've probably heard before. A parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. But Jesus was teaching to a big crowd and he says, hey guys, I love the way Jesus taught. He always used like everyday examples. He goes, hey guys, a sower went out to sow his field, right? A farmer's going out and he's planting seed and back then they would put a bag around them and they would put the seed in this bag and they would just walk up and down their field. And they're throwing out seed, just throwing out seed, throwing out seed. And he said, you know, here goes the sower. He's going out and he's sowing seed. And some of the seed, it fell upon the path. And the birds came and ate it up. He said, some of the seed, it fell among the the rocks. And because the soil was shallow, it didn't grow roots. And so when the sun came out, it scorched it, it burned it, and it died off. He said, some of the seed, some of the seed, it fell among thorns and it sprang up quickly, but then the thorns came in and they choked it out and it died. He said, but some of the seed, some of the seed, it fell on good soil and it yielded a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, I love the disciples because the disciples are so honest and, and this is in Matthew chapter 13 and later on the disciples come back and they go, uh, Jesus, we don't get it. You know, I mean, can you tell us? I mean, we don't get it. We don't understand. And, and I love that. Sometimes maybe you're reading God's word and you're like, I'm not sure I understand this. Just ask. Pray. God, open my eyes. Open my heart. What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to see? So the disciples say, Jesus, we don't understand that parable, that story you told. And Jesus goes, that's okay. Let me tell you what it means. He said, I'm the sower. <laughs> Jesus said, I'm the one who's sowing. God, sowing in the word of God is the seed. And the seed is going out, and the soil is the heart of man. The soil is the heart of man. So here you go. You know, Jesus says, I'm sowing the seed, and some of it falls on hard hearts. And the evil one comes and snatches it away. He said, some of it falls on rocky hearts. And there's no root. And even though they've heard the word, and maybe they heard when they responded when they were a kid or something else, but there's just no depth, there's no growth, there's no holding on to the word, and because of that, it's scorched, and the persecutions come, or the hardships come, and it falls away. He said, some of the seed falls among the thorns. It falls in the heart, and it springs up quickly. But then, and this is so important, I think, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said, the thorns are the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, and they choke it out. Pretty interesting, isn't it? But he said, some of the seed some of the seeds, some of the word of God falls on a fertile heart. And it yields a harvest 30, 60, 100 fold. I just think that is so powerful. And what Jesus is saying is that there ought to be a harvest in your life. When the word of God comes into your life, there ought to be a harvest. There ought to be a difference being made in your family. There ought to be a difference being made in generations because of what's happening in your life for the glory of God. There ought to be a difference made. Now, Jesus is saying this, you're known by the fruit in your life. 
I mean, how do you know it's an apple tree? Well, it's got apples on it, right? How do you know it's a banana tree? Well, it's got bananas on it, right? How do you know that somebody's a Christ follower? There's fruit. There should be fruit in our lives. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. That you and I ought to have fruit that comes out of our lives. Now, it's not the fruit that saves us, right? It's not the works that save us. It is by grace that we've been saved through faith. But the works are an evidence of us growing deeper in our faith, and us growing mature in our faith, that we are loving God and serving him. And so as you look in your life and you say, wow, am I living for God? Now, what keeps the fruit from coming? What keeps the harvest from happening in our lives? Disobedience. And that's why Paul was so passionate about saying to the people, guys, don't just be disobedient to God. You don't live this life of anger. Don't continue this generational sin. Don't just go back to quarreling. Come on, that's gonna, that's gonna choke out the things of God in your life. Sometimes sin. Sometimes there's just flat out sin in our lives. I saw last week where there's this website called Ashley Madison, which I just tell you, I, I hate this, that there's a website you can go to and cheat on your spouse. It's just, it just breaks my heart. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Well, that website was hacked last week, and so everybody's information that they thought was so secret, right, is out for everybody now in the world. Everybody, I mean, it's out there. The, the fact is, sin's always going to find you out. It always is. And for us just to be obedient and say, God, here's what's going on in my life. Here's an area, Father, that's unconfessed before you. That's why it says in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, for the word of God is living and active Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. It's not only important what we do, it's important why we do it. It's not only important what we do, it's important why we do it. Jesus was teaching about prayer one time and he said, there's a Pharisee who went to pray. Now praying is a good thing, right? But he said this Pharisee goes and goes, God, check me out. You know, thank you that I'm not like this guy over here. This publican, this sinner, this tax collector. I am so much better, obviously. I do all the right things. God, thank you for who I am. <laughs> and this sinner, this tax collector, Jesus said, goes and he prays, God, help. <laughs> I've messed up. I've blown it. I'm broken. I need you. Help. Jesus goes, which prayer do you think God's going to honor? <laughs> Which prayer do you think God's gonna honor? Right, the one who was just simple, God help, I need you, I confess. Thank you for being there, thank you for loving me. David, one of my favorite people in the Bible in the Old Testament was, David was known as a man after God's heart. I long for that in my life, I long for that in your life. <laughs> that you would be a man or a woman after God's heart. That at the end of your life, that people go, wow, wow. See, David wasn't perfect, man, he made some huge mistakes. But you know how David stayed on track? He confessed when he messed up, but he also took the time to examine himself. It says in Psalm 139, verse 23 through 24, some of the most authentic, humble words I think ever written. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Can you pray that prayer? Can I pray that prayer? Search me, oh God. I long for that. Search me, oh God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. So this morning, we're going to take some time and just, just do a self-examination. 
Inside your worship guide, there is uh, some questions. I wanna ask everybody to pull this out. If you don't have a worship guide, I wanna invite you to just to go to the back and get one, or if you need it, just raise a hand and one of our ushers or our A6 guys will grab some and they'll bring some to you. But turn with me here to this page. Right here, there's some questions in the middle of this section. Now, there should be a pin around you. We put pins out on every one of the seats this morning, so there'll be a pin around you. But grab a pin, and I want us just to take a moment. Now, these questions are pretty penetrating, I gotta tell you. And you may wanna uh, just hold on to this and come back to it later, but everybody this morning, if you need a worship guide, just raise your hand, thanks. That's great. So let me walk through these and just kinda see where you are, yes or no. This is between you and God. You're not turning this in. There's not a grade. Don't worry about it. This is you and God. Self-examination. Examine yourselves. All right. You ready? Number one. Here we go. Am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? Yes or no? Number two. Am I honest in all my acts and words or do I exaggerate? Am I honest in all my acts and words, or do I exaggerate? Number three, do I confidently pass on to another what was told to me in confidence? Do I gossip? Yes or no? Let's think about that in the realm of social media as well. Number four, am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or habits? Am I a workaholic? Am I a shopaholic? You know, where am I? Am I a slave? Number five, am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? Number six, did the Bible live in me today? Oh, that's a great question, isn't it? Did the Bible live in me today? You know, when you got up, when you came here, how were you with your, your spouse? How were you with your children, with your roommates? Did the Bible live in me today? Somebody once said, you know, you're the only Bible some may ever read. You're the only Bible some may ever read. Number seven, do I give the Bible time to speak to me every day? Yes or no? You know, do I take some time in the morning or time at night? Do I read God's word? Number eight, am I enjoying prayer? Am I enjoying it? You know, prayer is our lifeline, right? It's like our umbilical cord to God. It's like when we talk to our best friend, do you, do you enjoy praying? Number nine, when did I last speak to someone about my faith? When did I share that I'm a Christ follower? When did I invite somebody to church? Number 10, do I pray about the money I spend? Ooh. Do I pray about the money I spend? You know, God's entrusted all of us with resources, right? Do I pray about that? Number 11, do I get to bed on time and get up on time? Is there discipline in my life? Number 12, do I disobey God in anything? Do I disobey God in anything? Is there any unconfessed sin? Number 13, do I insist upon doing something about which my conscience is uneasy? Is there a gray area that God's been speaking to you and you're just like, ah. Number 14, am I defeated in any part of my life? Am I defeated in any part of my life? God wants us to be more than conquerors, right? Verse 15, am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, 
or distrustful. Number 16, how do I spend my spare time? How do I spend my spare time? You know, we've all been entrusted with time and talent and resources. How do I spend that? Number 17, am I proud? Am I proud? You know, pride is the mother of all sins, right? Am I proud? Number 18, do I thank God or thank God that I am not as other people, especially as the Pharisee who despised the publican? Do I think that I'm better than other people? Do I fight racism? Or do I look down on people socioeconomically? Or where am I? Number 19, is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold resentment toward, or disregard? If so, what am I going to do about it? Number 20, do I grumble and complain constantly? And number 21, is Christ real to me? Is Christ real to me? Now, here's the thing about those questions. They're penetrating, aren't they? But here's what I want you to know. I didn't write those questions. In fact, those questions were written by a guy named John Wesley about 300 years ago. 300 years ago. In the early 1700s, John Wesley, who started the entire Methodist movement, in fact, if you grew up in a Methodist church, you know, or your parents did, that you were probably impacted by John Wesley. John Wesley, these are the questions that they would take to their small group. They would take to their discipleship group, their community group, and they would unpack these questions each week because John Wesley knew you're not going to drift into looking more and more like Jesus. You're not going to drift into discipleship. You have to make a conscious decision to examine your heart and examine your life. Will you do that? Will you be honest? To be real? Where are you? It doesn't matter where you are right now. God loves you. God cares about you. But God wants you to move forward in him. God wants you to go forward in Christ. See, overall, what Paul would say in 2 Corinthians is this. Is this is about love. And that you and I can look at our lives and real simply, real quick, am I growing in my love for God and am I growing in my love for others? Is my love for God increasing? Is my love for others increasing? If it is, then I know I'm heading on the right track, right? If I'm heading for God, because the fact of the matter is, just as Paul said to the people, hey guys, you get ready because I'm coming. I'm coming, get ready. You know what? There's one greater than Paul who has said the same thing to us. Jesus has said, guys, get ready. I'm coming. I'm coming. See, the first time Jesus came, he came in all of his humility, he came in grace. He came to pay the price for our sins. The second time Jesus comes, he's coming in all of his power. He's coming and it's going to be really clear to everybody in the entire world. And he says, are you ready? Are you ready for me to come? And we have to answer that question. If Jesus were to come back this afternoon, are you ready? Where are you spiritually? Because there's more prophecies about his second coming than even his first coming. Jesus is coming back. And maybe there's something that Jesus has been speaking to you. Maybe today is a day of salvation because you've been coming into church and you've been coming in and coming out and we are so glad you're here. But being in church doesn't make you a Christian. There comes a point in your life as God draws you to himself where you step over the line and say, I'm gonna follow Christ. I wanna be a man or a woman after God's heart. And maybe you're here today and God's been speaking to you about being baptized. Or maybe God's been speaking to you about joining the church and saying, hey, it's not just being a consumer, a contributor. Come on. Maybe God's been speaking to you about being a small group or serving or giving back. I don't know what it is, but I know this, that Jesus would say, get ready. I love you. 
And I want the rest of your life to be the best of your life. But don't compromise on this. Spiritually, get your house in order because I care about you. And there is a God who is here today. And that God is speaking to your heart and to my heart. There are seeds of the gospel that are being thrown out today. And God is saying, man, will it find a heart that's ready to yield a harvest? There's no greater way for us to examine ourselves than to come to his table. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he, he took his disciples with him and he said, guys, listen, 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 I care about you. And I know there's gonna be some challenges that are coming your way, but, but listen, I want you to know that I'm with you and I care about you. And so he took bread and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, guys, this is my body broken for you. Notice that, personal. My body broken for you. Not just broken for all you guys, not just broken for the entire world, yes, but broken for you. And after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup, it's the new covenant. You were under the old covenant before. When you sinned, when you messed up, game over, right? <laughs> but now there's a new covenant of grace. Oh, praise God for a new covenant of grace. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink and remember it's of me. For when you eat this bread, you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this morning, this is not my invitation or the invitation of Rolling Hills. This is the invitation of God himself for you to come and meet Jesus at the table, for you to come to his table. There are six tables that are set up. There's a gluten-free table over here. There's two tables in the middle, two tables in the back. But I wanna invite you to come to break off a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for you, to dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you, and to receive what only God can give. This is the time to examine yourself. <laughs> this is between you and God, right? You and God. Maybe you want to use this as an altar. Maybe you want to ask a friend to pray with you or pray for you. Maybe you just want to fall on your knees and say, God, here I am. <laughs> I don't have it all together, but God, I want to know you. I want to be a man or a woman after your heart. I want to be the husband or the father you called and created me to be. God, I want to be fully yours. This is your time. This is your time with God. So, Father, here we are, your disciples today. And, Father, just as you have spoken to your disciples, God, back when you were on this earth and walking, just as you spoke to men and women in the 1700s and called them to obedience and called them to faithfulness. And just as you were speaking to us, Father, you've entrusted godly men and women with each generation. And Father, so many have found faithful. So many, Father, have gone through persecution and trials, but God, they've held on to you and they've known that the best is yet to come in their life and they've lived their lives for your name and your glory. God, may we be people like that. So today, Father, we come to your table and God, we lay our hearts bare before you. Search us, oh God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in your way everlasting. God, let us look not just what we do, but why we do it. And let us live our lives for you, knowing that you are for us, knowing that you love us and you love us so much you sent your own son to die for us. Thank you, God, for grace, and thank you for Jesus, in whose name we come to your table. Amen. Amen. You're invited to come to his table.
Isn't that an awesome truth? The best is yet to come. That God is for us. Even when the world seems against us, God is for us. And if God's for us, who can be against us, right? And we hold on to him. We hold on to him. I love that song. Shelly and Greg and Leo wrote that song just for this series, just for us. And so in your worship guide, there's a, you can go and download that song for free. I hope you put it on your playlist. You can go to the Rolling Hills app and just hold on to that truth. Think about 2 Corinthians every time, you know, just thinking that God is for me, right? And God has this great, incredible life plan for me. And I just hold on. I trust him. He is God and I'm not. And I'm going to live my life for him. I'm going to live my life for him. Church, I love you guys. I do. I was just praying for you this morning, even coming to the table and just praying and just thanking God for what he's doing here among us. And I pray for you. And I just pray that we would be men and women after his heart. And God bless our marriages and our kids, grandchildren. God would do something incredible here where people would say that had to be God. You know, that wasn't a group of people. That was God. That was God. And none of us are perfect, but man, that we just hold on to him. And we're on an amazing journey together. And I love it. After the service, I'm going to be here. There'll be people on our staff, our pastoral care team. We'd love to talk with you, love to pray with you. Whatever you're going through in life, listen, you're not alone. You're not. God is here. And God loves you. And he is for you. And he's given you his word. And he says, hold on to this truth. Read and study, pray, talk to me, ask me. But he's also given you a church. You know, I don't know how people make it in life without Christ or without community. Life can be hard, and we need each other. And we owe one another a terrible loyalty, right? That's what community is. So don't go alone. Don't go alone. At this time, I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward, and it's a great opportunity for us to give back, a chance for us to invest in God's kingdom and for God's glory. Then we would make a difference in orphan lives in Moldova, or the poorest of the poor in the Amazon, or people right here in our community or South Africa, Father, God would just use what is given. God has entrusted us with so much. May we be faithful. So Father, here we are, your people, gathered in your name. Oh, Father, we just thank you that you're with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. God, you have promised in your word. And we thank you, God, that the best is yet to come in our lives, God. We thank you for what you've done in the past to make us who we are. But God, we thank you for the grace that we receive in Christ who draws us close to your heart and whispers in our ear, hey, the best is yet to come. Hold on. I love you. I care about you. Follow me. Thank you, God, that you're faithful to us. And God, I pray that right now as we have a chance to give back to you, take what is given Use it, bless it, multiply it. Father, so that lives are transformed in our own community and around the world. To you be glory forever and ever. In the name of Jesus, we pray, we give. Amen, amen. More than a hammer, more than a hammer and nails Takes more than a hammer and nails firm foundation, build on faith and love, whole lot of guidance from up above, show your neighbor what a friend is for, with a 
open heart and an open door. In two weeks, we begin a brand new series. You saw this in your worship guide, probably House to Home. So I want to encourage you, just get ready because it's going to be a great, great series. And so invite somebody to come with you, take this with you, and give it to somebody. Man, I've loved this series this summer. This best is yet to come. I don't want it to end, you know? I'm like, ah, it's over, you know? And it's been a great summer with camps and mission trips and VBS and everything else. But I know the best is yet to come for all of us, right? And then there's church, the best is yet to come. But what a great morning. What a great morning of worship. Jared Anderson, thank you. Worship team, thank you guys. Greg, Shelly, you guys. It was just an awesome, awesome morning. Man, I love what God's doing here. Let's stand together. Let me pray a blessing over us. And then let's go to live out his word and live out his truth. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for your presence this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for worship and allowing us to respond back to you. And now, Father, we offer our lives a living sacrifice. Use us, God, for your glory. Send us out as ambassadors for Christ to be the hands and feet of Jesus, Father, in our homes, our communities, and in our world. We love you. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and we go. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Blessings on you. Thanks for being here today. Great job.